0: So tonight we're going to pick it up in 2 Chronicles chapter 13. So 2 Chronicles chapter 13 in our verse-by-verse study through the Bible. We left off two weeks ago with the end of Rehoboam, Solomon's son. The kingdom of Israel has been divided into two territories, the ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin. So it puts it at about 900 B.C. in human history. And there was about a 200-year period there with the divided kingdom of Israel. And periodically there was civil war. And there was a lot of tension between Rehoboam, who was the king in the south, and Jeroboam, the former servant of Solomon, who was king in the north. And so as we come to tonight, we just go forward and we pick it up here in chapter 13 with Abijah becoming the king in Judah. So now when we're looking at Chronicles... The focus is on Judah kings, southern kingdom kings, although you get the crossover to northern kingdom kings. And that's when we went through kings, we had the focus on the northern kingdom kings. And here we get the southern kingdom kings as the emphasis of the book, as now we have the divided kingdoms. So we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 13. And we'll get the whole chapter here. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam, so now he's the king in the north. Rehoboam has died. And Jeroboam is still a king in the north. Abijah became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Micaiah, the daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah set the battle in order with an army of valiant warriors, 400,000 choice men. Jeroboam also drew up in battle formation against him with 800,000 choice men, mighty men of valor. Then Abijah stood on Mount Zeromaium which is in the mountains of Ephraim and said, "Hear me, Jeroboam, and all Israel. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David, forever to him and to all of his sons, his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, rose up and rebelled against his Lord. Then worthless rogues gathered to him" And strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and inexperienced and could not withstand them. And now you think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hand of the sons of David. And are you a great multitude with which you are gold cows, which Jeroboam made for you as gods? Have you not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and made for yourselves priests like the people of other lands, so that whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull... And seven rams may be a priest of things that are not gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests who minister to the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites attend to their duties, and they burn to the Lord the early morning and early, uh, excuse me, And they burned to the Lord every morning and every evening burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. They also set the showbread in order on the pure gold table and the lampstand of gold with its lamp to burn every evening. For we keep the command of the Lord our God, but you have forsaken him. Now look, God himself is with us as our head and his priests with sounding trumpets to sound the alarm against you, O children of Israel. Do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. But Jeroboam caused an ambush to go around behind them. So they were in front of Judah, and the ambush was behind them. And when Judah looked around, and to their surprise, the battle line was both in front and rear. And they cried out to the Lord, and the priests sounded the trumpets, and the men of Judah gave a shout. And as the men of Judah shouted, it happened that God struck Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. Then Abijah and his people struck them with a great slaughter. So 500,000 choice men of Israel fell slain. Thus the children of Israel were subdued at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. And Abijah pursued Jeroboam and took cities from him, Bethel with its villages, Jeshina with its villages, Ephraim with its villages. So Jeroboam did not recover strength again, In the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him, and he died. But Abijah grew mighty and married 14 wives and begot 22 sons and 16 daughters. And now the rest of the acts of Abijah, his ways and his sayings, are written in the annuals of the prophet Edo. So Abijah rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa, his son, ran in his place. And in his days the land was quiet for 10 years. Verse 1 of chapter 14 Tagging along for us here in chapter 13. Abijah is an interesting guy. Now we begin this journey with multiple kings running simultaneously for a couple hundred years. A total of 39 kings reigned in these two kingdoms over that time period. There's never a good king in the north. They're all bad. There are periodically good kings in the south. And there are some kings who are like, yeah, you know, the jury's kind of out on them. They were good politically, but not necessarily good spiritually. you know that's how it goes and then you have some bad kings as well but you did have some good ones right so Abijah begins this journey where we just kind of descend from Solomon we go Solomon Rehoboam and now Abijah he was only a king for three years so he had multiple wives and multiple kids so he had influence and position of power prior to becoming king he obviously was living a rich full life if you will as a prince before he came to power. So in the time of Rehoboam, when everything was in retraction for Judah, and they went from the gold shields of Solomon to the bronze shields of Solomon, he's thriving. Even in these declining empires, there are people who find a way to thrive in the decline because there's still, usually most wealth is controlled by 3% or less of the population, and they'll find a way to hang on. And so he actually thrived, even though externally the kingdom was getting weaker, he did fine for himself. And then he came to power. And when he came to power, he found himself in the middle of this great battle. This is a, this is a huge battle, Like, right? These are hundreds of thousands of soldiers, and this is civil war. <laughs> you, know, you think like, you know, Gettysburg or these type of things in American history were massive armies by tens of thousands faced off in America over civil issues. And it was, you know, civil unrest from within the country, so it's civil war. And this is essentially a civil war, even though it's a divided kingdom. It's Jews against Jews. It'd be like if South Korea, and North Korea went at it, and they're the same people, same ethnic people, and it'd just be a really unusual circumstance to be in, to say the least. Because when, say for example, in Asian history, when the Mongols are fighting the Chinese, or the Chinese are fighting the Vietnamese, or Koreans are fighting Japanese, or Japanese are conquering Koreans, or whatever, you have these ethnic distinctions that separate the people ethnically, and they look different ethnically. It would be so strange to fight against your brethren, right? Because even in Korea right now, the, the southern, in South Korea, there are people who have tribes and have genealogies and histories that connect with their relatives in the northern part, and they haven't seen each other maybe for 70 years, but they, they keep their family histories in line, you know, going back to the Joseon Empire and that era of, of Korean history. So, like, to me, this is, of course, history. It's a historical book, the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. we are studying history here. And here's this king, three years, comes to power, and immediately has this massive battle that's going to determine his future, his life, his history. And it's interesting that as he comes into it, he, this is, of course, what politicians do, is they rewrite history the the way they want it to be. Or they control the news and they they give you the information the way they see it. We know that Jeroboam was in the north, he did rebel, in a sense, against Solomon, but God appointed him to do so. We know that Rehoboam, in the south, he rejected good counsel, so he brought a lot of his problems on himself, so as, as I was just speaking here, he's saying like half-truths, and his perception of news, it's like if you get the news from this cable network or that cable network, you get the same story, they all have different perspectives of it, right, They're just how they want to see it, and that's really what's happening here, but... In the midst of this, he says things that are absolutely true. The priest, the Levites, the showbread, that is all in Judah. And they were doing the morning sacrifices, the evening sacrifices. So in fairness to what he's saying, it is true that he represents the people of God who are actually obeying God according to the word of God, at least in an outward political sense. So what he's creating is this psychological warfare that we hold the high ground, and God is on our side and not on your side. Because your leader, he drove all the priests out of the land. He appointed, he made golden calves. He's basically saying there's no way God would bless you because you're all in rebellion to God, but you're under covenant with God, so you're going to be chastened by God, and God will bless us because we have the priests, we do the sacrifices, and we're set up to be blessed by God. And in this we see is correct. Because in spite of Jeroboam's brilliant plan and this ambush that would have succeeded, just like in the book of Jericho, or even like with the story of Gideon in the book of Judges, the priests sounded the trumpet. The men of Judah cried out. The Lord heard their cry, and God delivered them. In fact, it says that they prevailed because, there in verse 18, they prevailed because they relied on the Lord God of their fathers. But what really gets my attention in this chapter is not so much this King Abijah, and this is pretty much all we get about him. It's the record of Chronicles and the end of Jeroboam. It's just, two weeks ago, we really focused on Rehoboam, but it's hard not to think about the northern king Jeroboam here in this text. He's not the star, but he's a co star of this chapter. There's no, he's not talking. He was the recipient of this dialogue coming from Abijah, and he had to hear this, and it it was true, at least in the elements of his moral failures. What's fascinating is Kings tells us that God had such a good— this is really important, this is application. Kings tells us that God spoke to Jeroboam, and he said, I will do for you as much as I've done for David. The Davidic promise is incredible because Jesus is the Messiah through the line of David. And here's, I was just saying, you know, God promised all this through the David. And listen, God had previously spoken to Jeroboam. He said, if you repent and you do what's right, I will do for you. I will make a covenant with you like I made with my servant David. In other words, God offered Jeroboam all the blessings and all the promises The northern kingdom and the history of the northern kingdom could be so different had that first king of the north, the former servant of Solomon, simply chose to obey the Lord, obey his word, honor the priesthood, and and fear the Lord and serve the Lord. He could have been as much as David. David is the standard by which every king is measured. And in kings, God said of Jeroboam, I will do for you what I did for David. We've talked about lost opportunity, and you talk about it all the time when you're talking about these kings. But we don't really see God saying that, perhaps, say, like Ahab or some of these other northern kings, Jehoram, these different guys that you lose track of. We don't really see it quite like that. But for Jeroboam, when the kingdom was divided and he was given ten tribes, his moral failure cost him all the good things. What a difference his life could have been. When I was with my sister, Barbie, last week in Florida, we were talking about people we know, because now we're in our 60s, and you are what you are, and you sow, and you reap, and you become what you become, and you are who you are at 60. And if you don't like it, and you don't change how you live today at 60, you'll get the same thing at 61, 62, 65, only it'll be more compounded, and worse than what it was this year, it'll be worse next year, because that's how God's set up his universe. It's the compound effect of bad decisions, you cheated on this wife, then you cheated on that wife, you cheated on that wife. You just, just, just marriage, wedding, wedding, marriage, whatever. Kids estranged from children, fired from this job, stole at this thing, did that. I mean, you just get this compound effect of bad decisions when you reject the blessings of the Lord and the good things of the Lord. And my sister and I were talking about this. I said, Barbie, when you were pushing that grocery cart around six years ago, she's coming up on six years sobriety this month. When she was homeless for years, she's pushing that grocery cart around. And I said to her on that Mother's Day, When she said, the Russians are coming, I'm like, Barbie, it's not about the Russians. It's about you and the person in the mirror. The Russians are not your problem, nor the president's. The problem is the person in the mirror. And I said, once you accept responsibility for everything you've done with your life, pushing this grocery cart around, and you go to rehab and you complete rehab, you will begin to turn your life around for the blessings of God. That is the next thing God has for you. And she did do that. You know the story. One year in this rehab house with 20 women. One year in this rehab house with five women. Part-timer, full-timer. And then the rest is history. It's a beautiful story. I said, Barbie, the moment you repented... And surrender to the Lord is the moment you turn the compound elements of your life together and all the small, smart choices now began to work in your favor. So instead of being in the, in the red with your finances, if you will, in your moral finances, you're now in the black and you made good decisions and you went to rehab and you completed rehab so you didn't go back to jail. You stood before the judge and he gave you clemency. You did this, you did that. You saw the cops who arrested you two years later and you were all laughing about things and how good and you were talking about how Jesus saved you and how good you were doing. Is a and like you're not estranged from your son anymore, but you're proud of your son, and you have a relationship with your son, and he loves you, and you're you're restored. You're no longer unfruitful, but you're fruitful and productive, and you're not a burden on society; you're a blessing to society. It's that choice for all of us, and Jeroboam's demise reminds us of that. When Abijah said to him, that that you do not fight against the Lord God of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. Verse 12, nothing is more true than that in the human experience. No one ever prospers when they fight against the Lord. It's self-detrimental to fight against the Lord, and we'll always reap the consequences of it. Own demise. And to the degree that we fight against the Lord, resist the Lord, and and don't surrender to the Lord, we're just putting a compound effect of things going against us that are going to come back on us, our chastenings, our sins. It's just Oh, even when that judge was struck down in the book of Judges, he said, as when his toes and thumbs were cut off, and he says, as 70 kings begged at my table with no toes and thumbs who I cut off, so it has come upon me. It's the compound effect of decisions. So we're reminded that Jeroboam had so much opportunity, but he rejected the Lord. He set up golden calves. He, he expelled the priest. He just went from bad to worse, bad to worse. And by the time he reached like 50, his life was a colossal disaster, though he had wealth and power. His army was destroyed. He was fighting against the Lord and he was destroyed, and he died, and he died, like, a horrible ending. I don't know what people like him think when they're on their deathbed, and I don't want to know what they think when they're on their deathbed, but I can tell you right now, it can't be good. What would be worse than to could have, should have, would have and fought the Lord, and to actually be sitting there thinking, if you could think this way, when you're dying with this When you're dying, it says, because he did not recover strength again in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him, and he died. You're dying because the Lord struck you. And you're laying there thinking, like, what could have been? I could have been the equal of King David. We're not just saying that God could have worked that way. I'm telling you, it says God told him specifically, I will do for you exactly the same I did for David. So, is an interesting guy, but it's really about the end of Jeroboam. You shall not prosper. We will never prosper when we rebel against the Lord. His word, his spirit, his promises, and his call in our life. We will never prosper. And all those little deposits we put in that piggy bank of rebellion and disobedience, they will all be paid due at some point in time. But in the same sense, all the good decisions we make to go to rehab, to finish rehab, to show up at work, to work before get the benefits, do this. It, it all, it's, it's amazing. You're going this way when you're running. against the Lord and you turn around It's you go from, it's literally like the Bible says, from the tail to the head, from curses to blessings, from the flesh to the spirit, from death to life. It's, it's so clear and simple. It's 62. It's like I can just, I can break it down like one plus one is two. It's just so obvious. What a waste, Jeroboam. And Abijah, three years, all of his wives... He won a big battle, so what? Three years. I hope he enjoyed the victory dance and collecting a couple villages. Because there's no, it doesn't really say he was like an awesome guy. It just says he won this battle, and he could quote things the way he wanted them to be, and God did bless him. Chapter 14. So Abijah rested with his fathers, they buried him in the city of David. Then Asa his son reigned in his place, in the days, and in his days the land was quiet for ten years. So it was a big war, and then they had peace for ten years. did was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, his God, for he removed the altars of the foreign gods in the high places and broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images, and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, God of their fathers, and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places, the incense altars, from the cities of Judah, and the kingdom was quiet under him. And he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. What a blessing for him to start his political power that way. Verse 7. Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God, and we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa and his army of 300,000 from Judah, who, he had an army of 300,000 who carried shields and spears. And from Benjamin were 280,000 men who carried Shields and drew bows, and all these were mighty men of valor. So, in a time of peace, he strengthened militarily, and he's got the two tribes. They're strong, they're a strong army. Verse 9 Then Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Marashah So, Esau went out against them, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of. Zeph-athah at Mereshah. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God, do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar, so the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. And they carried away very much spoil. Then they defeated all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord came upon them, and they plundered all the cities, and for there was exceedingly much spoil in them. They also attacked the livestock enclosures and carried off the sheep, the camels in abundance, and returned to Jerusalem. They didn't start the battle, but they sure finished it, right? Right? Kinda of like that saying, like, "Hey, I didn't start this battle, but I'm going to finish it." The previous chapter was a, a, a building conflict. Abijah just essentially inherited the conflict that had been there prior with Rehoboam against Jeroboam. This one is not like that. We've had ten years of peace, and now they're they're being attacked. It's not a provoked attack. Here comes a million man army against Judah to come after their prosperity. Now. Sometimes when we're reading historical records, like you just go like, man, it's just like endless wars and conflict. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's always been that way. This is World War One. This is World War II. This is Korean War, Vietnam War. There's there's always something, you know. There, this is the Russian-Ukrainian War. Most wars now are fought with electronics, hacking, finances, you know, financial bullying, that kind of stuff. Most of you know that. You know, like the old school wars of lining up, you know, Russian tanks and Nazi tanks against each other, and outside of Moscow, we. We may never see a war like that again because now it's just control of wealth and money and, and you know bully tactics and allegiances in that way. But this is what nations do. Nations, you know, people are always trying to take from other people. That's what they do. So here come the Ethiopians. They're takers, and they're coming to take from Judah. And this million-man army pretty much doubled the numbers. But Asa, this is the beginning of his ministry. This is the beginning of his reign. He reigned for quite some time. We'll see that before we're done tonight. And this is his start. He fortified, he strengthened. He had a good beginning with his politics. And as a king, it's a good thing. And then all of a sudden, wow, he's being tested. It's a test. They're being attacked by a million-man army out of the South. And he has faith. It's, we're told he did, was good. He, re, he sought the Lord. He observed the law and the commandments. He removed the high places. He's got a really good beginning to his life. He's like a man in his 30s that's thriving. He's making really good decisions with his life, his personal life. It's all good. Good decisions. And the Lord is blessing him for it. When you wake up and you seek the Lord, you remove the things that are offensive to the Lord, you obey the commandments of the Lord, and you encourage other people to do the same as a politician and leader, you're gonna be blessed. It's a good thing. So then when the Ethiopians show up, you have confidence against the Ethiopians. Like, hey Lord, it's hey, they're here to take what's yours, because we belong to you. And you go out and you fight him. Now, he said, here in verses like 10 and 11, he cried out to the Lord his God, and he made this statement, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many, with those who have, or with those with no power. This is a great phrase. This is very encouraging for the body of Christ and the church of Jesus Christ. Because it's a reminder that God is all-powerful on the throne and has the final say in Everything. We know his army was well prepared to fight these guys. They're outnumbered two to one. We know that he fortified the cities, that he's, he's making really good moral decisions, and that's great. Still, though, and most of you can relate to this, no matter if you're walking strong with the Lord or not, sometimes things come against you. You're like, I'm not sure how this is going to go. We might lose this court case. We might lose this property. This might go against us. This attack on my character at work, it, it, may, not, it may not be a good ending. The new boss doesn't like me, they're just riding me without any explanation. The new neighbors, oh, what are you gonna do with these new neighbors or the old neighbors, oh, how they just keep living forever like that, you know? like, you, I mean, I don't, have you ever had a neighbor like that? I'm not, no, no, you're not that neighbor, you didn't have neighbors like that, but there are neighbors like that. But just remember, nobody lives forever. Sooner or later they die and the adult kids fight over the house or they agree on the house or the, the government takes the house and it's set it on the probate court, okay? So they, they don't go on forever, but there are bad neighbors, and you just think like sometimes there's things like you're you're walking right with the Lord and you're doing good things with the Lord, and here comes this test, and how are you going to handle it? It could be again an attack on your character, an attack on your finances, an attack on your marriage or your family. It could be a conflict with your kids at school, and now and you're in the school, and it's all this stuff, and there's counselors there, and I mean, there's all. Listen, life has no limit to where you can get conflicts from Ethiopians coming up at a ratio of two to one against you. You ever been in a meeting where it's two to one against you? Four to one, five to one, it happens. It's a human experience. And of, they call that bullying in a lot of cases too. What do you do? He didn't pick this fight, but we see his perspective on the Lord, and this is what's most important for us and very encouraging to us. He said that the Lord, it's nothing for the Lord, whether there's many or with those with no power. But here's the challenge when you think about it. This is the human experience. When there's many of us, we feel more confident. For in strength, there's confidence. If we have lots of money, we feel confident against uh, an attack legally or financially against us. If there's a big army, and we've got a big army too, we feel better about that. In other words, if you filled your water pots, using that term from John chapter 2, if you feel like if your life is a pattern of good decisions, uh, sowing properly and being a faithful steward, you can have confidence when the, the difficult day comes. You feel better about it. Like, hey, you know, the prudent foresee evil and take refuge. You're prudent. Here's evil. Here we go. And you can feel better about it. The danger is to feel confident in it. Because no amount of money is enough money. <laughs> people know how to take all your money. <laughs> so, like you think, ah, a little bit more. Like, ah, you know, there's you can just keep reading books about famous people and they'll tell you, no, they took even more than that. There's a reason the Grinch stole still Christmas when he takes the last crumb is so powerful because. That's how it works in the human experience. Some people just keep taking it, there's nothing left to take. It's coming and coming. So you can be fully prepared and feel like you could withstand that, but all the money in the world, you could lose it just like that. Human history shows that. So you be the, the danger with having strength and great lawyers and lots of money or power is you could trust in that. And there could be pride in that. But the danger of of being nothing with no power is to be absolutely despondent and totally in despair. You can just feel so intimidated, like, you know, just think like, you you know, your life, things have gone wrong, like my sister gets intimidated easily. My sister does get kind of, you know, she still gets kind of anxiety and and intimidated easily. Um, If you're a single woman and you've, you know, or a single mom, and someone, you know, has all the power and they're the Newport Yacht Club and they're bullying you at, you know, you know Newport Harbor High and you're falsely accusing your daughter. And this, you know, like you could feel, you could feel like you could feel totally overwhelmed. You feel despondent because like, oh, we live in this apartment and how are we going to respond to that? And they're just coming in and they own, you know, her husband's on the cover of this magazine on real estate. Like, oh, like there's things that can intimidate you. And what can happen is when you have no power is you can feel despondent. You don't need to raise your hand, but you ever felt despondent when you feel like it's a total mismatch what you're up against in a courtroom with the neighbors, coworkers, accusations, family members? You, you, there's no limit to unusual things I've been asked to pray for, including family disputes over real estate assets, where the certain siblings are always bullied by the other siblings, are totally overwhelmed, and now it deals with millions of dollars of wealth and probate court and lawyers. so there's a danger of pride where you are strong and there's a danger of despair where you're weak but what we need whether we're tipping either side of the scale or in the middle is to remember that it's nothing for the Lord it's nothing for the Lord the real issue is to have obeyed his commandments to be walking in the spirit and turn down things that are contrary to the Lord in your life and just trust in the Lord I mean what did David say over and over and over in the Psalms trust in the Lord what does his son Solomon say trust in the Lord lean not on your own understanding or we could say your own strength Asa's cry in this battle is perfect. (laughs) Not that God needs to be reminded, but Asa's like, you know, God, I realize if we have everything, you can still get it done. If we have nothing, you can still get it done. Because you are God and there's none like you, and the Lord has the final say. So it's just a reminder when you feel like you're surrounded by the Ethiopians, just remember the Lord has the final say and he's got it. Asa's beginning is beautiful because he tore down offensive things, he obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and he encouraged people to do the same thing. And when he was tested, he passed that test. That's his beginning. Chapter 15 is his his middle, his primary part of his reign. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, uh, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been, Has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out nor the one who came in, but great turmoil was in all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you, Verse 7, be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded, the prophet, he took courage and he removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had taken in the mountains of Ephraim. And he restored the altar of the Lord that was before the vestibule of the Lord. Then he gathered all Judah and Benjamin, and those who dwelt with them from Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon. So now these are other tribes coming to him. For they came over to him in great numbers from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered together at Jerusalem in the third month in the fifteenth year. Catch that. Third month, fifteenth year. He's got a he's got he's got a long reign in the reign of Asa. And they offered To the Lord at that time 700 bulls and 7,000 sheep from the spoil they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with their heart, with all their heart, and with all their soul. And whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. He Also, he removed Maka, the mother of Asa the king, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and then crushed and burned it in the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was loyal all of his days. He also brought into the house of God the things that his father had dedicated and that he himself had dedicated, silver and gold utensils. And there was no war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. So if you notice, in verse 10 it says in the 15th year, so 15 years in, and then the 35th year, so 20 years later, He's man, he's got it going good in his middle age, but boy, he's got a storm coming. He's got a storm coming in independent living, assisted living, memory care. He's got, he's got a storm coming, which just tells us we need to be on our toes. We'll get to it in a moment. But this is the zenith of this king. It's a long reign, right? Like decades, decades and decades. A long time to have all that kind of power and make good decisions. I love this statement where it says, when the prophet came to him and said, keep doing all the right things. As long as you're with the Lord, he's going to be with you. He said, you be strong and do not let your hands be weak for the work, for your work shall be rewarded, exclamation mark. So let's pause on that for a moment. Body of Christ, worship generation, it is a good moment to pause here and say, your work will be rewarded. It's good to be reminded of that because so often when you do the little things for the Lord, you feel like no one notices and you don't need to you know, blow your own trumpet or sound an alarm. Let everyone know like, hey, I did a good deed. When it's your DNA and you just wake up seeking the Lord and you want to serve the Lord, you serve people. You serve the Lord and you serve people. You just bless people because that's who you are. You're not manufacturing like, oh, I'm going to earn God's favor by doing good deeds. You are a good deed. You are a blessing. It is, you know, sunshine and unicorns, you know, like you're, you're that person because you're, you're saved by grace. You're filled with the Spirit The promises are yours. The king's on the throne. He's coming for you in glory. You're going to be in glory. And eyes not seen or ear heard those great things he has prepared for us. And we of all people have optimism and faith in life and the journey. And all these these light afflictions are not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that's in front of us. So we're little Miss Sunshine. We're Mr. Happy Face. That's who you are. Because we're the head, not the tail. We're blessed of the Lord. And whether we have few things or many things we have the joy of the lord and no one can ever take that from us and we we can be fruitful and we can be faithful servants we can walk by faith we live by faith we are faith we're faith on display we're salt we're light and we're like we're it we just we don't even try to do good deeds they just come from us we speak words of encouragement to people we see we build them up we're not like oh i'm looking for someone to say something to that's going to build them up He you just like hey yeah awesome Saw a woman on the escalator at ATL yesterday, the airport. Many of you have been to Atlanta Airport, right? You've been to Atlanta Airport, the ATL. You know, we take the tram, then you got to go up those steep the steep, you know, escalators. I'm going up Terminal B coming from C with Starbucks. And i look like, there's a, there's a girl there. And she's young, like early 20s. And she's got like a dress. I'm like, that's a wedding dress. And there's no one between us. I go, hey, is that a wedding dress? And she goes, it is. I'm like, you're getting married this week? She's like, I am. I'm like, well, tell me about it. You know, it's a long escalator. You know, those escalators are long. It's like well, I'm, I'm, where are you getting married? She goes, Burlington, Vermont. I'm like, oh, I live in Burlington. And then before, we, by the time we got off the escalator, going toward, you know, the gate where Burlington was, is right by the Starbucks. i you know, like, her dad, her husband's a Marine. She had to become a Catholic to get married to him. I'm like, hey, just talk about Jesus. You know, find the common ground. Don't worry about it. Just focus on Jesus. It'll all work out, Yeah, you know? Jesus, 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 you know. And like, and she's like, thank you so much. You know, I'm like, I'm going to Starbucks. You're going there, like... A little five-minute conversation and I kept telling her it's your it's your day next Saturday in Middleton Vermont enjoy it that's your wedding dress I said that's your wedding dress all my kids are married that's your wedding dress and you're going to your wedding you have the best week of your life this week and don't worry about you know the Catholic church and the OCS and this stuff and just love your husband have a wonderful day She's like, thank you so much. I was like, I didn't didn't talk about it. And then I'm like, I can't wait to speak blessings on people. That's a wedding dress. (laughs) You're right. Like, that's who we are. Just be that person. Think how nervous you were the week before your wedding. And she's traveling by herself to Burlington. She has to do a thing with the diocese. I'm like, she said, well, I'm Protestant. I'm like, well, okay, don't worry about it. It'll it'll work out. Just, Just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Right? It's a five-minute conversation. I don't have the time to go in Reformation wars and battles and Luther and all that. Hey, look, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It'll be fine. He's a Marine. You love him. He's going to be wearing his blues. Oh, kiss him. You want to kiss him? Yeah? Yeah, okay. Jesus, Jesus, and have a happy wedding day. That's who we want to be. No good work. You speak the word. Jesus said you give a child a cup of cold water in my name. You will not lose your reward. God knows the reward of your work. We're told in Galatians, do not grow weary in doing good things because it, we will be rewarded for it. Galatians chapter 6, where it talks about sowing and reaping. So just a reminder, like, I love how God sends the prophet Asa. Just keep doing the right things. Your work will be rewarded. From a cup of cold water to the obvious things of turning down idols to just speaking encouraging words to people. Be that person. Be the person. Be the person that speaks life. Touches life, gives life, brings life. Be salt and light. There's going to be a reward. Oh, WG, wait till we get to heaven. Ah, the rewards, body of Christ. The compound effect of little things: listening to people, encouraging people, praying with people. It's it's like a it's like it's like a ah. It's just these open zeros. It's Einstein's math, the law of compound. There's all these tabs just producing dividends for you right now every day when you're just the Jesus person. Not because you're great glory and people are coming forward, but because you're a woman of God and you shine for Jesus every day wherever you go. Because the fruit isn't in 5,000 people responding at the pond, although that's fruit. The fruit is just being Jesus wherever He's put you today to be Jesus. Right? Man, what a great verse. For your work shall be rewarded. Ah, body of Christ. Just be reminded, that. your work will be rewarded. So that was the zenith of his ministry, but now chapter 16 wraps us up tonight, another short chapter. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, well, here comes the test when he's a senior citizen. This is why I tell you, retirement's overrated. Vacations are not, but retirement is. Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord of the king's house, and he sent them to ben king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Hey, let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I've sent you silver and gold. Come break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, said so that he will withdraw from me. So basically, he offered Basha, or, or the king of Syria, more money than Basha did. He's got, I'm, I'm, I'm going to outbid him for your military allegiance. Verse 4. So Ben-Hadad hated King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel can you imagine Basha? Hey, what's going on, man? I made a deal with you. Don't, you make a deal with the Syrians. You're, it's, not, it's a shaky coalition. So they attacked Ajahn, Dan, Abel, Miam, and all the storage cities of Naphtali in the north. They raided the north. So Basha had the same plan to get Syria's allegiance, but it didn't work for him. Now, it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased his work. Then King Asa took all, the, all of Judah, and they carried away the stones and timber. He's like a contractor, right? He took all the supplies to build, which Basha had used for building, and with them he built Geba and Mizpah. He seized the supply chain and rebuilt things he wanted to build. Verse 7, At that time, Hanai the seer, or the prophet, came to Asa, the king of Judah, and he said to him, Because you've relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Luban not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? So now the prophet's taking him back like 30 years prior. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them, or 20 years prior, into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts is loyal to him. And in this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison. For he was enraged at him because of this, and Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. He literally became a grumpy old man. Literally. Can you see it? Are you don't tell me I can't do that. No. He literally is a grumpy old man. It's a movie, Asa, the grumpy old man, the sad last chapter. Verse 11 Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. They buried him in his own tomb, which he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices and various ingredients, prepared in mixtures of ointment. And they, it. And they made a very great burning for him. Well, he made sure he died in glory, but he did not finish in glory, did he? He had the plan, like he had his, you know, he had his plot. He had it all planned out. You're going to, when I die, you're going to know I died, and it's going to be a big deal. It's just such a bad ending. A couple things to send out to me as we wrap up tonight. I don't know what gets my attention more, that famous verse, which I tend to quote fairly often, for the eyes of the Lord go to and fro over the face of the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. What a true statement. What a wonderful promise for all of us to make good decisions and know that God's just looking for people that are willing. But honestly, evaluating people at 60 plus, I can't help but get this one, and this you've done foolishly. If there's something to be avoided in life, young and old alike tonight, being foolish is top of the list. Foolishness is to your own detriment, and it's an embarrassment to you. You know, he's a fool. Foolish decisions, a foolish lifestyle, a fool. And to have the Lord say that he dealt foolishly, I don't know, you've done foolishly, to do something foolish. This is, this is a scary thing for when you get older because if everything going in you is good and you start to get fuzzy when you get older, particularly if you have, like, dementia or Alzheimer's and you, because your brain kind of becomes Swiss cheese, and you lose parts of it. There's no continuity with it. It can be completely different for different people. But if everything's good, then whatever's left is good. So will all be good coming out, whatever's left. But if it's all bad, then only thing coming out is bad. If it's a mixture, the problem is you might lose the good and only have the bad. That could be what's left. What are you saying, Pastor Joey? I'm saying make sure you fill your gas tank with good. Make sure you focus on good. Whatever things are true, just, noble, praiseworthy, and honorable, think on these things. Be a spirit-filled woman when you're 20, so you'll be a spirit-filled woman when you're 40, and be a spirit-filled woman when you're 60, and when you're 80 and 90. And whatever's left of you when you're 95, may you be a spirit-filled woman and a spirit-filled man. It's amazing how foolishly elderly people act when they're not been self-restraint, spirit restraint, or held in check by people that love them and tell them what they need to hear instead of what they want to hear. We all know stubborn older people. This is a stubborn old man, and he was foolish and he would not receive it. And now everything all the good he did is unraveling. So, so good things, and know there's good rewards, but really someone said to me in Florida this week, they say, Man, Most people retiring your age, you're talking about like you're just getting started. You sound like someone just came out of college. I'm like, yeah, retirement's overrated, and it's dangerous. But vacations are not. So enjoy your vacations, right? Listen, we cannot let up the gas pedal ever in service to the king, ever. And as long as we go, go, go to the last breath, we will not be foolish as a whole, and be good decisions and good fruit from here to eternity. Yes and amen.